Welcome to the Platform to Perform podcast, the podcast for coaches, athletes, and anyone looking to perform at their highest level. If performance is your goal, we aim to provide you with a platform to perform. I'm your host, Todd Davidson, and on episode five of the Platform to Perform podcast, I have Leander Swim Club strength and conditioning coach, Jack Lynch. How are you doing today, Jack? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. Going to dive straight in, mate. Uh, why do you do what you do and how has it led you to where you are now? Uh, yeah, uh, big question. I started, um, so I started right back when I was a badminton player, uh, back when I started when I was 14 uh, and I spent five years building up to kind of county level badminton um, and I stopped playing when I was 18 uh, because of a kind of multitude of injuries but it ended up with me almost rupturing my Achilles and having several big hip issues and basically throughout my career um, I didn't have anything like any physical preparation training or strength conditioning or anything that you would associate with that kind of stuff right now Um, and so what ended up happening is I ended up getting so hurt that I could no longer playing without suddenly my leg giving way and me end up running into a wall or or these kind of things and I got injured right before I went to uni uh, and it was right before the trials uh, that I could have got onto the uni team and basically I ended up coming back in uh, not in the place where I wanted to be and I ended up getting very frustrated and kind of burning myself out if you like uh, both physically and mentally um, and then kind of went into psychology degrees because I was getting very interested in sports psychology. I was doing a bit of badminton coaching still on the side um, and I was kind of quite enjoying coaching. I've always really enjoyed teaching uh, and coaching. I kind of see them as a very similar thing. I don't see them as that different. Um, and uh, so I started my degree thinking oh, I want to become a sports psychologist and ended up chatting to a number of sports psychologists and figuring out how goddamn expensive was to become a sports psychologist and was like no i'm not doing that i'm not a millionaire i'm gonna have to change tack and um i ended up kind of falling into snc because i i kind of saw some stuff going on at uni and chatted a couple of people at university and thought oh this is really interesting you know i'm interested in the side of performance and it ended up you know really driving into youth snc uh, because of my experience of an athlete and, and feeling like I didn't want anybody else to have to end up quitting their career or quitting do what they do because they just weren't prepared to do it in the first place or were kind of let down by a system that wasn't allowing them to to give them the best chance, if that makes sense. That's perfect. And obviously those well, the injuries, being burnt out, being at university and trying to juggle all these things, that obviously sounds like a massive challenge as an athlete. What are some of the biggest challenges you've faced as a coach and what have you learned from these challenges? Uh, so uh, multiple challenges. I mean, I went into, I was very lucky to be given the opportunity with Leander Swimming Club back when I was right at the start of my career, um, which in some ways was fantastic for me and some ways was the scariest thing I've ever done in my entire life, being jumped into leading an athletic development program in my kind of first year of coaching. Um, And so I've made a ton of mistakes, uh, probably more, definitely more mistakes than I've made successes um, in terms of my coaching career, uh, which I see as a definite positive thing. But I think in terms of 
in terms of the challenges I faced, I think the biggest challenge has been myself. The biggest challenge has been proving to myself that I can be a good coach uh, very early on. And I've always been a perfectionist, if that would make sense. Well, a perfectionist slash very hard on myself. And I think throughout school and throughout university and as an athlete, I, I was never, ever, ever happy with the performance. Uh, I would come home with, you know, winning a tournament and it would just be like, yeah, but I didn't do that, but I didn't do this. Um, and that kind of carried into my coaching quite quickly. And so the biggest challenge is kind of come up to date really and kind of caught me recently. Um, and it's challenges surrounding that kind of imposter syndrome as, as uh, Brett Bartholomew calls it. And um, trying to uh, kind of overcome that and put myself in environments where I can start to battle with that. Um, but that's kind of ongoing and it, and it kind of comes and goes. Uh, and some days that will be great and some days I'll really feel it. So I think, yes, there are lots of mistakes I could have made coaching wise, but in terms of the biggest challenge, it's, it's myself. Uh, and I think that's true for, for several coaches. Yeah. I think, well, as someone who suffers a lot from paralysis by analysis, and as you said, digging into minute details and questioning how important they are, uh, yeah. this is something I resonate with massively. So if you could almost go back and give yourself some advice as someone who's obviously been there and done it, uh, what advice would you give yourself? I think, uh, so I talked about uh, getting into Leander kind of the very first stage of my career. And I think one of the biggest issues we have in the industry right now is that there are a lot of, uh, not a lot of jobs out there, but there are new jobs that are coming up and new places that are wanting S&C coaches, but the budget just doesn't, uh, doesn't stand up to having more than one S&C coach. And what you end up with is with a lot of young S&C coaches looking for jobs and going for the same jobs in these places ended up, uh, Kind of hiring some very young and slightly inexperienced SNC coaches, and we end up in an environment where we are doing something which we're probably not prepared to do, um, doing our best at it and, and often doing a good job at it, but not surrounding ourselves with enough people to not necessarily give us validation, but to help educate ourselves, help give ourselves, uh, help give each other feedback, just have those conversations at the end of a session, be able to turn to someone and go, you know, what did you think of that? Um, you know, I really liked your session and, and they go, well, maybe we could have done this or we could have done that. And I never had that for about four years. Um, and I thought that that was okay until I kind of started later down the road and really analyzing it and going, well, actually it's not because, you know, the whole imposter syndrome takes over and you go, well, I could be doing a terrible job here. And, and, you know, I wouldn't know because all the people that are giving me that feedback as as good a coaches as they are, are all swim coaches and, and don't have the, the qualifications, don't have the experience in SNC that I need. And they may well be really good coaches. And I have had some great feedback from them in terms of just how to manage kids or how to do some coaching stuff. And that has been valuable. But in terms of the feedback on how to do my job in particular, it's, it's really tough on your own. And I think that ends up leading to a lot of burnout in SNC coach and a lot of kind of fear of doing it wrong. And I think that you just need someone there, whether that be a mentor, whether that be putting yourself in an internship program, you know, recently I've taken the, the, the decision to actually 
going to Bromley Tennis Centre on their, on their internship, which has probably been the best decision I've ever made uh, in my whole coaching career, um, sitting under a mentor in Gareth Jelbin, who is absolutely revolutionising the way I coach. And that's not necessarily through someone who is giving me revolutionary advice on how to be completely different and how to be, you know, outstanding. It's just very much advice that I have needed for four years of just having someone there um, kind of giving me advice, giving me help where I need it, being on my side and not expecting really anything in return, which is invaluable as a coach. Um, you'll see a lot of programs out there for mentorships and for you know, opportunities to spend time with other coaches where you have to pay a vast amount of money. And I think at the end of the day, what we find out is that those opportunities are generally a business opportunity because they have to be. Um, and so you end up with a certain amount of time with a certain coach. Um, and I think going into a role where you have multiple S&C coaches, and it's not just Gareth, it's the other people on that team that have allowed me to really develop as myself. And that's not you know, that is something that is completely just them being fantastic coaches. And it's me putting myself in an environment where I'm doing work for free and I'm really trying to invest in myself. And that has made a enormous, enormous difference over the past nine months, both in my coaching at Leander, but in my coaching generally and my kind of approach to, to how things work. And it's really made me fight with, with some mental health battles around that imposter syndrome and and it's really challenged me to uh, to work on those areas and, and to, to get some balance. Um, and I think if I was to give that one piece of advice to my younger self, that advice is find other people that do your job, put yourself in situations with other people and find a work-life balance. I know this is another, this is another point and I'll probably come back to it, but it's, finding that balance of I don't need to work seven days a week. Um, I permanently now say I don't work Sundays and it's a non-negotiable in any role that I just do not work on a Sunday. I have a relationship to hold down. I have family life, I have friends and I came very, very close to losing all of that because I was just working too much and actually I wasn't giving myself at all a life. And what that ends up with is that you end up as in terms of mental health, as your job and what you do in your coaching becoming your identity, yeah. which is something that we kind of criticize, not criticize, but we see negatively in terms of an athlete's performance. And we say, well, the athlete has to be more than they, you know, they are a yeah. swimmer than they are a tennis player. Do we ever think about that for ourselves? And I think this is what, this half nine months has maybe do is go, well, actually that's exactly where I was. Every bad coaching session, I would almost plummet because that was a reflection of me personally, my identity. And that was damaging, massively damaging. Yeah. Uh, and it's trying to catch a hold of those things. So young coaches out there who are listening, it's, it's really, really important that you get out there and you find other people that you can coach alongside. Uh, whether that be you putting yourself out there and going to different environments and, and tagging along with coaches and saying, can I shadow a session? Can I lead this warm up for you? Can I do this? Those experiences are invaluable and trying to find that time for you personally is, is massive. massive. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's brilliant. I mean, like I said, I had three years of internships at various different organisations, and now I'm leading a program myself. It's almost weird to be like, oh, I've got nobody to nobody in strength and conditioning to say, right, okay, what do you what do you think of that? Am I being harsh on myself, or do you see something that I'm not seeing? So I totally resonate with that. With yeah. obviously, you said mentioned Gareth at Bromley Tennis Centre and the other interns. Who has been the biggest influence on you as a coach, whether it's someone you've spent time with, somebody whose work you've read? <laughs> I know you're going to ask this question. I've, uh, I've been thinking about a good answer and I don't think I have one. Um, I think the answer is very much linked to my other question. Is It's uh, that the different people will be different. They play different roles in your life at different times in your career. Yep. Um, at the very start of my career, it might have been people that I was reading. It might have been, you know, if I think about when I was starting, and I, I still think about this kind of somewhat now, and I think about, well, who do I want to be in terms of a coach? And I actually thought back to some fantastic coaches that I had, but also some teachers that I had um, going through school and going through university and, and what qualities they had that I really wanted to embody. Um, and that was, you know, the common connection between all of them is that they were invested in me as, a, as an individual. They weren't looking at all of the athletes and treating them the same. They weren't, you know, just giving a broad program. They weren't, you know, just teaching the syllabus because they had to teach that syllabus. They were teaching with flair. They were teaching with passion. And they were really investing in, in you as a person. And I think that makes a huge, huge difference to the athletes you coach and, and the relationship that you can build with them, but also the people around you, the team around you, the other coaches, the physios that you might encounter, the parents that you might encounter, the other stakeholders in those athletes' lives that rely on you being a person and treating the athlete as a person. And so if I think about now and those people, um, you know, I've been very lucky to spend a fair amount of time with people like Dan John, um, who's been, who's been really kind of influential in the way I think about coaching in terms of making it actually very, very simple. Um, and he's incredibly good. If you ever get the, uh, the luxury of hearing him talk is, about just distilling it down into some really, really fine points that, you know, you just go, well, how can it possibly be that simple? And, and you talk to him and you question him and, and it really is, it, it comes down to, can you do the basics incredibly well? Um, and it's a very overused phrase, but I would argue, are we all looking at the same basics? And that's where he's so good is going, well, these are my basics. Um, I'm not just saying the phrase, let's do the basics well. I'm going, right, well, here, here they are. Here's what works for me. Here is my uh, kind of matrix of what works. Um, try this out. See, see how it works for you. And, and then and more recently, I've talked about Gareth already. But it's, you know, for me, it, it's lots of people at lots of different times in my life that will have a different effect. And, and those people will constantly be changing. But I think... The advice, again, that I would give to myself or anyone else is, is get out there and speak to and network with as many, many people as possible. I know, you know, I recently spent a weekend at the LTAD conference with performance up in Gloucester. And it was, it was fantastic because it was just a chance to spend time with a lot of very like-minded coaches and actually those making those new networks and, and firming some connections up there, which was, which was invaluable, really. Um, and so I think, yeah, it, it, it's everybody and anybody. Um, whether yeah. that be a, whether that not be a coach, so 
yeah it's difficult yeah and as you said you can learn from people who as you said are coaches teachers which may or may not be the same thing in different people's eyes you can learn so much from business as you said i think it is perhaps naive to say this one person at every given point in time has been the most influential i thought that was a really nice answer mate in in the terms of you said of embodying qualities of teachers and coaches that you've had and you obviously made a big emphasis on them getting to know you as a person so a double-edged question now is what assessments do you take your swimmers through when they first walk through the doors does this change for example if they're say 11 14 or 18 and how much of this assessment process do you dedicate to not just understanding and assessing their physical qualities but also trying to figure out who they are as a person yeah, I agree. I think, um, yeah, so generally what will happen is if, uh, if uh, an athlete walks into, into our facility at Leander, um, they will generally be taken through a, some form of movement screen. Uh, for us, that's overhead squat, single leg squat, and some form of tuck jump. Um, you could use you know, a number of different movement screens, and, and I could even argue that those movement screens uh, to somewhat don't give us the whole picture, which is very true. Um, we do have some some formal performance testing that we take them through as well, um, mainly for some objective measures, which is always good to have. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I do is is I look at that screening, but I look at that as very much a supporting factor or one of the factors uh, that will make up where they fit in our club and what they do. To some extent, you're going to have um, control, and to some extent, you're not going to have control over that athlete. Um, I'm in a program where we rent our facility. We don't own our facility, and we have different squads within the club, and the structure of our SNC currently means that we have certain kids in certain squads for swimming, and that means that they come as a squad into SNC. Um, some facilities and some coaches will have the luxury of deciding what their SNC squads should look like and, and which kids should go together in terms of the gym because obviously the athlete on the field of play is going to be different to the athlete that's in the gym a lot of the time. Um, and so with me, what I tend to do is, is look at that screening and then I would put them in a session. Uh, usually if I know that there are new athletes coming in that session, it won't be a session where everybody just gets the programs out. It will generally be a session where we can actually have fun, have some games, definitely around kids, no matter what their age is. Generally, we'll get out there, we'll have some fun. Maybe we'll do some running-based games. Maybe we'll do some coordination-based games. Maybe we'll do some complexity work. Um, enough stuff that I can just see how they move. Um, I can see how they move when they're not uh, in fear of being judged because it's a particular game, a uh, particular exercise that is supposed to be done the particular way that they might have seen Instagram. It's just a funny game that they have no idea what they're doing and they don't know when they're getting into a squat. But what it does tell me is, well, how do they actually move? But also it tells me how do they interact socially? How are they on the psychological level? Do they look me in the eye when they say hello? Do they interact with other kids? Do they take the lead in the session? Do they, you know, have those qualities that we look for in a coachable athlete? Um, do they have these kind of qualities 
of being psychologically mature as well as physically mature. Uh, yes, we'll take PHV stuff. Yes, we'll take height, weight, sitting height, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and yes, that's great for objective measures. And yes, that allows us to go, okay, well, here's how you sit on a, on a growth continuum, on a, on a weight velocity continuum, and that's fantastic. But at the end of the day, they don't always match up with the psychological maturity. So we have a number of kids that, you know, physically probably could be doing some, some barbell squatting and some quite advanced some movements like that but i look at them in the gym and i go well actually if i turn my back can i trust you to be able to do that and and sometimes the answer is no and what you'll find is that that's often a very very difficult conversation to have with a parent and to have with a kid and go well actually i don't think you're quite ready for this yet um in terms of i think you need to be placed in a in a slightly different group that's going to do the stuff that is slightly more attuned to, to where you are at socially and psychologically right now. And, and it's finding the right words to say that without it sounding like I'm downgrading, without it sounding like I'm punishing them for being a little bit crazy and not being able to focus and all of those things, which I think you can walk into a lot of places and, and you see put in a very negative context. There are negative consequences of you misbehaving or of you not paying attention or not listening. And actually, if we look at some quite immature kids psychologically, what you see is that what coaches are doing is putting them into very structured environments where we're forcing them to do something which they're just not capable of doing. And we're punishing for them for that. And so what they end up doing is trying to meet our expectations and trying to you know, meet our demands and, and not doing a good job um, because they can't. And them getting frustrated at you as a coach and that overall damaging your relationship. Um, and so with our kids, we have a kind of a range from uh, kind of all the way from the, the lowest squad, uh, the lowest ages that we get. Um, and I do it in age groups because that's unfortunately how swimming works, but we try and base it on maturity, but that doesn't always happen. Um, and so we have squads at the very younger age groups, which will come in and just play some themed games. Um, those games are on a kind of cycle. So we revisit the same kind of themes each week, whether that be coordination, whether that be some speed, whether that be some squatting patterns or whatever that might be. And so if you were to walk in there as a parent, and, and I've had it before, walk in there as parents and coaches, and they go, what are you doing? You're just playing games. And actually, if we then stop and start to explain that, and, and a big part of my philosophy around coaching kids and coaching any athlete is about education and about going, okay, well, what do we do today, guys? Uh, and actually, what's really lovely is the kids start to come out. Oh, we did some balance work. Great, where did we do that? Okay, we did some coordination work. Great, where do we do that? Oh, we did that with the balls and we're throwing. Oh, okay, cool, yeah. Uh, what kind of coordination is that? And they start to learn these terms. And so they start to develop those, those physical literacy tools so that when they end up in a much more structured program, um, when they are ready for that, they already know why they're doing things. I don't have to tell them this is why you are squatting because they've already done that from when they're very young and they, and they build into that when they are ready. Um, sometimes I have to tolerate kids that are not quite ready for the structure that we're putting them in purely because unfortunately that's the way they've been placed in some spots and, and logistically it just isn't working for them for some reason. And so sometimes it doesn't work, you know, perfectly and magically, but that's generally how I would love 
love it to work and that's generally how I try and get it to work most of the time. There's, uh, it's funny you say that because speaking to yourself and speaking to other practitioners in, uh, who deal with youth athletes over the weekend at the LTAD conference, obviously mm. one thing that's said in SNC is, oh, if you're not assessing, you're guessing. But how much of, how much or how often have you come across in SNC where people are so desperate to do the physical assessments where, as you said, they might overlook the stuff like the cognitive maturity or the emotional awareness of the child as you said the children they're working with and accepting that these kids are children who want to have fun first not athletes who as you said we're trying to put in structured boxes and there's the there's the key point is there is that it's all about fun first if you're not having fun with your kids if you're not smiling you know i'm going to go and coach a bunch of 40 kids tonight and if i do not come out of that room smiling chances are i've coached a bad session chances are if i'm not enjoying it they're not enjoying it whether that be a fun and game session or whether that be a you know let's get down to some hard strength work session we still need to be having fun there is a there's a huge role for that across the spectrum even with some of my adult athletes we are still rolling around on the floor we are still playing silly games sometimes because do you know what psychologically that is important it's important for buy-in it's important for that's to get them coming back but also we forget that these kids have exams, enormous pressures that we talk about in a, oh yeah, they've got exams and they've got this, but they've also got enormous pressures in their sport. So I want the gym to be an environment where they can come in and they can be, you know, themselves and they can release some of that pressure. Um, and yes, if we are, if we are dealing with athletes, we should be assessing in some way. Whether that be via very strict scientific testing protocols or whether that should be via some subjective analysis is really down to what facilities you have available, the, uh, the, um, the abilities you have as a coach uh, and the structures in which you work in. Um, there's no reason why we can't have both. Um, yes, I try and have some objective data because at the end of the day, I want to make sure that my kids are progressing and I want to make sure that when they are eight, they are doing better than they are doing when they are, or they're, they're, they're doing better at 18 than they are when they were doing it at eight, yeah. you know? Um, and it is good to have, I, th I think it's really, really important that we have some maturity data because if we are basing these kids' work on their maturity, which is the right thing to do, we're not just going, oh, you're 16, let's get you lifting a barbell. Yep. Then uh, it is important to have that data, but it's also important to not overwhelm them with testing. I see programs where they spend weeks testing kids. And I just go, and I've, you know, I've, I've been guilty of it in the past. I've spent two, three weeks going through testing batteries because I've had one session with them a week and gone, I want to do all these things. And then I've come to the end of the, the season and gone, I'm sorry, what did I get from that? Oh, great. I've got some pretty numbers on a piece of paper. But did they change much? No, not really. Not, not beyond what they were going to do anyway because those kids are maturing. So, I, you know, I've stripped my testing battery right down recently. We've, you know, gone back to some, some quite simple tests and that we try and get done in almost one session. So, you know, we have one week, you know, in throughout periods of the year, about three or four times of the year that we do, that we do see some performance testing. With them. And I say the word performance testing because it, you know, it totally depends on what kind of athlete you are dealing with. And again, athlete is a word in quotes. 
you know, without going on a rant here. Um, we <laughs> please are, do, we are please quick, do. We are very quick as SNC coaches to say, well, I'm, I'm coaching athletes. And, and my question, especially when you're talking about kids, is are you? Or are you just saying athletes because you think athletes sound better when you talk to other people? I will constantly say to people, I'm coaching kids. I am coaching little kids. They are not athletes. I'm treating them like little kids and I want them to be able to develop enough tools in their toolbox to have a broad enough range of movements and be stable in the movements that, that matter. I want them to have that toolbox so that if they decide at some point in their life, they would like to become more of an athlete or just have some form of active life, then they are able to do that. Um, and I think partly this whole, well, yes, we need to assess our athletes is, is a bit of an ego thing sometimes when we call them athletes, but yeah. equally it's going, well, what assessments actually work? And again, this is where Dan John has, has really made a difference to me is going, well, what are you assessing? Why are you assessing that? Can you cut that out? Or are you just going to get that from, from later down the road? And again, when we are looking at, at kids, we have to find a way of, and I'm not saying I found this way, um, but we have to find a way of going, how do I know that that was me? That, that was my intervention? Or how do I know that you were going to get there anyway uh, by yourself? We all hang our hat sometimes on some very gifted and talented athletes. And often those are athletes in my program that go, boom, through the roof. And I go, and I used to go, oh, I did that. That was great. And now I go, <laughs> I, I, I didn't have anything to do with that. Yeah, they did. Um, They'd have been great regardless, as you said. Absolutely. And so what I look at is the ones that came into the program with the least movement skills, that, that weren't very sociable, that didn't have a lot of the things that we we're looking for and are now kids that are really, really progressing in our program. And that is what I call a made athlete. That is yep. where I look back at the program uh, over the past four years and I look at those kids that have come through those four years and gone, where are you now? because you are my measure of whether this program is working or not, whether this long-term athletic development program is actually working long-term or whether it's just working short-term for a handful of athletes. Yeah. Um, yeah. On that, going back to the, uh, going back to the question about, for example, assessments in 11 versus 14 versus 18, obviously yeah. these, don't worry, these, as we've said, these, ages don't just fit in these neat little boxes and cognitive maturity and chronological age don't uh don't trend upwards lin linearly um yeah i've seen and heard some of your structures of your sessions for various different ages or levels of maturity could you talk yeah. us through for example how a session might be structured differently for say kids of a cognitive maturity of say 11 versus 14 versus 18 sure so uh, we'll have, if they come in with a, a, what I would define as a low cognitive maturity, um, and they are still very much a kid, um, then I'm looking at a, a kind of unstructured games-based environment, a kind of discovery-style learning environment where I am putting kids in constraints-based situations and games uh, where they are just screaming and having loads of fun. Um, to discover some of those toolboxes. As they get further down the line, what I start to do is I still keep some of those games 
but I start to introduce some more structured stuff. We might start to do some specific movements uh, for five minute blocks at a session, for example. Um, so for example, if I had a, uh, a kind of stage one kid, if we look at it like that, I'm giving them all the games all the time. If I have a stage two kid, I'm giving them most of the games most of the time, but I may be having two five-minute blocks in a 45-minute session where I'm just looking at some quite specific movement patterns. And that may well be, a say, a squat drill where I'm just getting them to squat with a cone on their head. But what I'm doing is I'm bringing in that education side. and We're going through, they're coming up with some points that they want to see from a squat that make it a good squat and we write those down the board and we go through okay well what does this look like to you what point should we be looking at great so what you're going to do is you're now going to peer coach or you're going to peer review right and so you're going to look at your partner and you're going to go what are they doing well which of those points are they matching and which of those ones are they not and then we ask those questions and importantly the question is well, why did you give them a three out of three or why did you give them a one out of three so it's building in that education basis but it's not a huge structure where they're losing concentration it's a five minute exercise um, and so then they get further into the program and they might start to go on a more structured program where they actually get a program card and it says some movements on it and it says some exercises on it and they do those in in specific times at a session that might start in a 45 minute session with only 20 minutes of that session being a program card and then the rest of it is some fun stuff um, but that will also vary during the weeks they might do those program or strength cards one week um, and then the other times in the week they might do some uh, corrective work so that might be some uh, rehab work that might for those who need to do some rehab work that might be some prehab stuff that might be some um, corrective work in terms of I use um, and the I always forget the acronym and I'm looking over there to see if I can see it the NASM corrective exercise yeah. book that Gareth Shelburne actually introduced me to which has been really great and we develop some correctives around certain movement patterns um, which which kids naturally struggle with and, and again that makes up a part of the session and then we do some other stuff around that um, so it's kind of a uh, a multi um, multi-structured session in a way and then as they get towards older they start to go on more complex programs and that that theme of the session so whether it's a strength session it starts to be a little bit more periodized it starts to go right this is the strength this is an ip session this is a um, speed agility session and we start to really block those out in terms of what they're working on on each session um, and and then when they get to that highest level and they might be on an individual program or they might be on those kind of block periodization programs what we get is okay well i expect now these these and these things of I expect you to turn up, I expect you to be able to do this, do that, do that. But actually there are some very simple things throughout the program that I expect them to do. You know, I expect them to walk in the door when they are eight and I expect them to go, hello, rather than my knee hurts. I expect them to leave the session and go, thank you for that. That was great. And high five their teammates and high five the coaches. And I make sure that I'm at the door and I'm getting a high five from everyone as they walk out because that's important. That is building a culture of you know, independent athletes that are walking in the door and by the time they walk in the program at 18, they are walking in the door and I'm sitting there going, great, what do you need to do today? And they go, I need to do this, this, and this. What do you think of this coach? What do you think I need to do here, here, and here? And I go, great, 
I am literally guiding that process at that point. So at the start, it's very me-led. I'm very pushing it. At the end, it's very much them that is leading that. And if we're not getting them leading that, that's a question where we've got to ask ourselves, are they in the right place in the program? Are they in the right place for us to be expecting that of them? And is that a, a warranted expectation? Or is that an expectation we're just placing there because they ended up being dumped in that group for a reason? And yeah. So, you know, it very much changes and it's very much dependent on the athlete. And it doesn't matter whether you, because in all likelihood, you're going to have a kid walk in the program at, at 14 and has never done the rest of the program. So all of this stuff goes out the window. So we've got to go, right, where do we put you? How do we assess you? Yeah, we do some movement screen. We put you in a situation where we can assess how you work socially, how you work psychologically. And then we have a conversation with you. We don't just decide and sit on our table and decide. We sit down with the athlete, sit down with the parent, sit down with the coach, and we go, right, where is the best place for you to go? Um, so yes, we are assessing. Yes, we are doing that. And yes, it is different depending on what the athlete is. But does it change based on their age? Probably not. Does it change based on their maturity? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. yeah psychologically and physically yeah i think from chats with you and other coaches in uh youth sport or youth strength and conditioning one of my biggest reflections is it doesn't have to be an either or approach it doesn't have to be here's your nice looking program and here's the sets and reps and here's the game approach it doesn't have to be oh we're either playing games or we're super structured and i really like how you break down how at those different stages there's certain emphasis on one more than the other but it's never a either or approach that's brilliant so that was part one of my interview with Jack Lynch. This podcast was recorded following the Long-Term Athletic Development Conference in Gloucester. So naturally, Jack's experience with youth athletes was the topic of our agenda. I love the way how he talks about cognitive maturity and establishing expectations and growing a culture with youth athletes. I think oftentimes it's too easy to look at research articles that emphasize the importance of muscular strength which is undoubtedly important but we forget that as jack said these aren't necessarily athletes we are working with they are children first and foremost and we need to perhaps see things from their point of view rather than putting them into too structured training too early in part two of this interview with jack we dive a little bit deeper into his specific experiences with leander swim club and i question him on his thoughts of sports specificity what that looks like to him and how he's managed to bridge the gap between the work that his young swimmers do in the gym and his integrated sessions which he's now doing poolside with the swimmers if you want to get in contact with jack and learn more about what he's doing with his swimmers you can contact him via email at contact jack at jacklinchperformance.co.uk find him on twitter if you search jl underscore performance or you can find him on facebook if you search for jack lynch if you want to find out more about myself and the services i provide then you can search on facebook todd davidson p2p coaching you can find me on instagram that's at todd davidson p2p coaching that's uh, the number two between each p and i will catch you in part two of my interview with jack lynch which will be podcast six of the platform to perform podcasts thank you very much for listening yeah.